Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. The midwives did all they could. She just couldn't push. And then she said to them, get a Bible. And they brought the Bible and placed on her womb. And she said a short prayer. And then she pushed. And I came forth. And my father named me Chidi. It simply means there is God. See how unique my name is? Why did I say my name is unique? When I speak to an atheist, the first thing I want to do is introduce my name to them. So once they say Chidi, they're saying there is God. <laughs> you just missed an opportunity to give God praise there. Come on, put your hands together for God. Hallelujah. Now, be, uh, before we pray, I just want to share this with us. Uh, I grew up in a family where if you clocked 16 years, the birthday gift you got from my father was the biggest book in the world, the complete works of Shakespeare, William Shakespeare. This big, all the books embedded in one with all the sonnets, all in one. And my dad will be coming back from work He's quoting from different books, Hamlet, Julius Caesar, Taming of the Shrew, and he's screaming on top of his voice, is anyone in the house? Complete this quote. And so when I was preparing for this message, the Holy Spirit reminded me of a quote from Julius Caesar. How many of us here ever read Julius Caesar? Oh, good, good, good. If you haven't read it, try and read it. Interesting book, even though it looks archaic, but it's an interesting book. And in Judas Caesar, the conspirators led by Brutus and Cena wanted to go to war with Marcus Antonio, who was a friend of Caesar. And at some point, they were actually dilly-dallying. They were delaying. They didn't know what to do. And then Brutus came forth and said to them, you know what, guys? He quoted and said, there is a tide in the affairs of man which leads on to fortune. Omitted are all the voyages of our lives. Is bound in shallows and in miseries. On such a full sea are we now afloat. We must take the current when it serves or we lose our ventures. There's a current serving right now in the house. There's a move of the Holy Spirit in the house. My prayer for you and my prayer for myself is that we will not be spectators, but we'll be participants in a process of the move of the Holy Spirit. Remember, when Elijah was about to be taken up to heaven, the sons of the prophets, somehow, maybe by intuition, maybe by the Spirit, they knew that Elijah was about to be taken up to heaven by God. And they went to Elisha, the young boy that poured water in the hands of Elijah. And he said to him, do you know that your master is about to be taken to heaven? Elijah said, yes, I know, but you guys need to be quiet. Be quiet. And guess what? Elijah appears on the scene. And Elijah followed Elijah so hardly, walked with him. And Elijah said to Elijah, go back. He said, I'm going nowhere. I'm going with you. Meanwhile, the sons of the prophets stood somewhere and they were spectating and they were watching. And Elisha went with Elijah. 
when the mantle dropped, the mantle dropped on Elisha. And it wasn't just the mantle that dropped. It was a double portion of the anointing. I say it once again. There's a spirit of God that is moving in the house. Don't be a spectator. Tell your neighbor, don't be a spectator. Be a participant. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. Thank you because you're God. Thank you because there is none like you. We thank you because, Lord, you rule in the affairs of men. And today, oh God, as we bring your word, I pray the Lord, like Peter said, will receive your word with meekness, with meekness, with great humility. Thank you because as your word goes forth, that our lives will not be the same. There will be transformation and there will be change. We give you praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Church, say amen. I needed to scream that amen. Shout it loud. Amen. And I will tell you why I wanted you to shout the amen loud. I used to live in Israel, lived eight years in Israel. The most important word in the Jewish tradition is the word amen. Every Friday night, the patriarch of every family in Israel gathers the whole family and they all have communion together. I mean, communion is a very serious thing in Israel. And at the end of the communion, he brings out the Torah and goes to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 6. You don't have to put it on the screen, Paul. And he takes verse, 24, verse 25 and 26 and he declares it upon the family. In, Jew, in Hebrew, it is called the Kohanim blessing, the priestly blessings. And then he makes those declarations and you hear everyone in the family screaming on top of their voices, Amen! 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 So be it. Now why did the Jews scream Amen on top of their voices? In the Jewish tradition, the Amen actually represents two things. Number one is a sealant. is a seal to your prayers. And then number two is a repellent to the enemy. When the fathers pray and the young people say amen, they are putting a seal to every prayer that was prayed. And then they scream amen, they are repelling the enemy from coming to steal their prayers. So when we pray in church, don't wait for Pastor Dave to pray and say amen. We all have to scream amen on top of our voices. It is cool to say amen. Very cool to say amen. Hallelujah. You know, today in church, we're becoming too prim and proper. We're looking at the person beside us. How's he going to react if I shout amen? How's he going to see me? How's he going to look at me? It doesn't really matter. Listen, guys, lose your decorum before God. Lose your dignity before God. When you lose your dignity and decorum before God, God dignifies you. Hallelujah. Can I hear an amen now? Fantastic. We're doing very well. Hallelujah. But I want to say something to you now. Please do forgive me in advance. My father taught us to always forgive people in advance. Because I'm going to mess your theology today. So forgive me in advance. And after the service, if you see me, come to me and say, Chidi, God bless you. Don't take offenses, yeah? Okay. (laughs) Because I'm going to mess your theology today. Hallelujah. I'm going to be speaking on the subject of prayer. Someone just said, aha. 
Speaking on the subject of prayer, and I'm going to be speaking message titled, The Dynamics of Prayer. The Dynamics of Prayer. You heard my story from the beginning. I was a product of prayer. And for so many years, we woke up 5 a.m. every day in the morning with my parents. We prayed every day at 5 a.m. in the morning. You know, if you do that today, your kids can call the police and say you're doing domestic abuse. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, but we woke up every day at 5 a.m. and we prayed. We never complained. We never grumbled. We never murmured. And my parents were actually instilling the discipline of prayer into our lives. I make bold to say, with all humility, that if there's anything I'm passionate about, it's prayer. Very passionate about it. And God has given me the grace to teach about prayer across different continents and nations. And I pray that today, after today, that many of us, including me, will become more passionate about prayer. There's something about prayer. I'll just share two testimonies. There's a guy called George Muila. Those of you from England, you will know George Muila. He lived in the city of Bristol in England. And he used to run an orphanage. And he had hundreds of young kids as orphans. And then one day, they didn't have food. There was no bread. There was no milk to feed the young people. And the young guys came to Judge Muila and said to him, we've got no food in the house. What are we going to do? Early in the morning, and from nowhere, they had a knock on the door. And it was the baker, the local baker, standing at the door. And he said to Judge Muila, you know, I had no sleep all through the night. I was bombarded by this voice saying to me, take bread, take bread to the orphanage, take bread to the orphanage. Now they had bread, but there was no milk. But they had prayed with George. They all prayed with George. There was bread, but there was no milk. And then suddenly from nowhere, someone knocks on the door. It was the guy that distributes milk from the local factory in a cart. And right in front of the orphanage, his cart broke down. And for the car to be fixed, they had to bring down all the barrels of milk. And he said to George, George, can you get the kids to take all the barrels of milk into the orphanage? The power of prayer. They had bread, they had milk. The dynamics of prayer. In the Victorian days, there was a poor woman who lived somewhere in England also. She was very poor, but she understood the dynamics and the power of prayer. And she prayed every day and quoted from the book of Philippians. You know, said, be anxious for nothing. But through prayers and supplications, let your requests be made known to God. So every day she woke up, she would say to God, Lord, I thank you because you meet all my needs. And she had a neighbor who didn't know God. But she was very rich. I mean, she was wealthy. 
and she was very proud and arrogant. And then she would say, I'm going to show her that it's not God that supplies milk and bread and food. And then she would go every morning and bring food from her store and place it in front of the woman's house. And this woman will wake up every day, open her door, she will find food in front of her house. There is something about prayer, guys. The dynamics of prayer. But we need to understand where did prayer start from? Can we have on the screen Genesis chapter 4? The Genesis of prayer. You might just be here. You're struggling with your prayer life. I do have struggles too sometimes with my prayer life. I do, even though I'm passionate. You might be here still struggling. After today's message, you're going to move to another level. But just open your heart. Genesis chapter 4, verse 6. It says, Then the Lord said to Cain, No, it's 26. 26, not 6. 26, Paul. <laughs> verse 26. Okay, let me read from the Bible. If I keep waiting for them, my time is going. I'll be out of time. Anyway, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, the scripture says there, it says, and from that day, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Genesis 4, 26. That's the genesis of prayer. Now, when God created man, he actually didn't want man to pray for anything. He always came down the cool of the day to have communion with Adam. But Adam fell from grace to grass. And God cursed the earth. Cursed the earth. And moved on. But in chapter 4, we see the story of Cain. Who had killed his brother Abel and had become a vagabond on the face of the earth. And at that time, the Bible says that Cain built cities unto God. And when he built cities unto God, the number of men started multiplying on the face of the earth. And somehow, some men found out that there was a missing link in reaching God. And so in Genesis 4.26, the Bible says, And men started calling upon the name of the Lord. And while they were calling on the name of the Lord, some of them had prophetic insight that the world might be destroyed soon by God. And then suddenly, chapter 5 of Genesis Chapter 6, there was the flood. And God preserved Noah and the generation because some men had chosen to pray. Through the prophetic prayers of those men, God preserved a certain group of people. If they hadn't been preserved, we wouldn't be here today. The dynamics of prayer. So in Genesis, men called on the name of the Lord, kept calling on the name of the Lord. And then the prophets came. One of the prophets I respect so much in the Bible is a prophet called Joel. Can we have Joel chapter 2, verse 32 on the screen? And the Bible says, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Zion and Jerusalem, there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. So Joel gave this prophetic word that whosoever that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now take note of this. 
when you hear the word saved in the Bible, it's not just speaking about salvation for people who do not know the Lord. It's speaking to me. It's speaking to you. Because the word saved comes from the root word salvation. So when you're going through issues in life, it could be marital. It could be financial. It could be one wayward child. It could be lack of job. It could be depression or oppression. But as you call on the name of the Lord, the Lord saves you from such things and brings solution to it. You can't neglect or negate the power of prayer. But then the issue is, why is it many of us, including me, find it difficult to pray sometimes? The reason is this. Sometimes we see prayer as a bore. That's the truth. Sometimes it's boring. Sometimes it's a drag. Sometimes it becomes like a routine. And you're not finding joy in it. And sometimes we're just lazy. Sometimes I'm lazy. But why do we find prayer a bore? We're going to answer that in the next few minutes. But before we answer that, tell you a story about Jesus Christ. The reason why God sent Jesus on the face of the earth was so he could identify with us, with our weaknesses, with our infirmities, with our frailties, with our inefficiencies, with our deficiencies, so that he could identify with us. So the Bible says that Jesus the Son of God became flesh and lived amongst us. I remember when my dear sister Chelsea was preaching, I think sometime last year, she was talking about God that puts on skin. Skin on. So Jesus became flesh for us so that we can also identify with his weaknesses. And then he also can identify with our weaknesses. And then he can say to us, come on guys, I did it before. You guys can do it. I lived as flesh amongst you. You can repeat the same thing. All you need is the grace to be made sufficient for you. All you need is to determine in your heart to be disciplined in the place of prayer. And God supplies the grace. We all have struggles in the place of prayer. Let's be sincere with ourselves, including me, as passionate as I am. The dynamics of prayer. What was the secret of Jesus? Three things. And I'll be done soon. We'll watch a video clip, and I'm done. Three things were so significant and symbolic in the prayer life of Jesus. Number one was discipline. Jesus was disciplined. He was so disciplined. Death. Excuse me. On a daily basis, the apostles watched him. Sometimes at midnight, he left them and went to Clifton Oval, Armadale Oval, the Pet Hills. Spent all night praying. And then he comes back. And then they go out. And then he speaks the word. Things begin to happen. And the apostles were watching. There's something about this guy that we need to get. And one day they said to him, Master, teach us how to pray. 
teach us how to pray. You know, in psychology, I do psychology in the uni. There's something we call learning process. You never stop learning. You learn to unlearn. And so the apostles were used to praying in a certain way. But they saw the way Jesus was praying. It was totally different. And they said to him, Master, teach us how to pray. And he said to them, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. But that wasn't it. What Jesus did was to give them a format of how to pray. Imagine you wake up every day, all you say is, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You haven't covered so much in the place of prayer. And I will tell you what I mean. Elections fast approaching. I guess today, Skomo is going to declare that there's going to be an election, right? I'm already praying before he even makes the declaration. I'm not seeing Australia from the prism or from the lenses of Labour or Liberal Party. I am seeing a nation that a prophet stood on the other side of the island and said to us that Australia is the Southland of the Holy Spirit. But listen, are we seeing that happening? We're not seeing that happening. You know why? Because we've not brought down the prophetic word that a young Spanish explorer spoke about many years ago. So I don't see Australia from the prism or the lenses of the Labour or Liberal Party. But I'm already praying and I'm saying to God, there are some men in government that don't need to be there. The scripture says, their office let another man take. I'm already praying those kind of prayers. The Lord, we want honest men, men of good report, to take over positions in the parliament, at the state level, at the local level. I'm already praying that. I am not seeing the Labour Party or the, or the Liberal Party. So I'm already going ahead and I'm making declarations. And whatever declarations you make comes to manifestation. Because the scripture says to us, thou shalt decree it in and it will come to pass. The dynamics of prayer. So the apostles were watching Jesus. He was so disciplined. And they wanted that. And Jesus took time to explain to them that guys, if you're ready to pray, when I stir you up, you got to wake up. You got to wake up. But remember, in the garden of Gethsemane, they failed him. They couldn't pray. When he came back, they were sleeping. Came back again, they were sleeping. But he said something. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh, the body is not. Listen, sometimes the Holy Spirit yanks you off from your bed at 12 a.m. Come on, that's the time to rise up and don't stay close to your bed. The dynamics of prayer requires that you move from your room and go to the sitting room and you put on the garment of Elijah. How many of you remember when Elijah went to the house of the Shunammite woman and was trying to raise the sun? The Bible said he was walking up and down and praying up and down when you go to your sitting room to pray and walk up and down guess what happens sleep disappears but when you stay in your bedroom close to your bed sleep locks around the corner and he's saying to you sleep some more come on how many of you agree with me <laughs> i'm glad you agree with me the dynamics of prayer so jesus was disciplined in the place of prayer the other thing the apostles saw in the life of Jesus was tenacity. Jesus had tenacity in the place of prayer. He was tenacious. What is tenacity? Simply, firmness of purpose. A firmness of purpose. Jesus was firm. 
He was tenacious. Sometimes we pray today, you're looking at the clock and you think you've prayed for 30 minutes. Come on, boy. You've only prayed for five minutes. But guess what? God does give strategies in the place of prayer. So, for example, if I'm driving to work, maybe I walk in the city, I live south of the river, with traffic, it's about 45 minutes to get to the city. You know what I'm going to do? The 45 minutes will be used in the place of prayer. As I'm driving, I'm talking to God. And I'm saying to God, you know, I don't know what this driver beside me, the motorist beside me, is going through. But Lord, let the power of your salvation hit him right now. Are you listening to me? Now, I don't know what the guy on my left is going through. He might be going through mental issues, mental health. And I'm saying to God, Father, can you touch that guy to the left and meet his needs? And I'm saying to God, peradventure, there are guys who have made up their mind today to cause accidents on the road. Father, wherever they are, arrest them. So my 45 minutes is utilized driving and I'm killing two beds with one stone. Some of you might not have to go to work in the morning. You have your time. You can take a walk and do a prayer walk. As you're doing the prayer walk, you're killing two beds with one stone. What do I mean? You're burning calories. You're losing fat. And then you're praying at the same time. These are the strategies and the dynamics of prayers that we must I mean, willfully infuse into our lives. We must continuously stay in the place of prayer. Have you noticed how prayer has been relegated to the background in the church today? Not just New Spring, across the globe. But we need to bring it back to the front burner. So that's why when we call for prayer maiden, please do turn up to come. And we also have a prayer room upstairs you know you know I, I pray every sunday with some very faithful men i mean men that are sometimes two times older than i do but they've been so consistent guess what i'm going to say now we need some younger people to come in there and join us in the house hey come on the dynamics of prayer so jesus was disciplined number two he had what tenacity of purpose and the final one jesus had intensity. Turn to your neighbor and say, intensity. Jesus was intense in the place of prayer. And I want to say to you, forgive me and pardon me. Everyone speaks English with an accent. Okay? Just in case you don't hear some of the things I said. But you can replay them and then it will come back to you. Why are you guys laughing? The people that taught us English, they also struggle in England. The young boy born in southeast London speaks Cockney. The guy born in Liverpool speaks cows. They don't understand themselves. So everyone speaks English with an accent. <laughs> so Jesus was disciplined. And he had tenacity. And he had intensity. But they imbibe those three things. And then you see God move mightily in your life. Some of the things we're carrying in our lives is as a result of lack of prayer. There's some issues that do not require medical attention. In the United States today, when doctors are tired, failed completely with terminal diseases, guess what they do? They invite people to come and pray. And people pray and we see the hand of God move. But you know what? There's so much trenchant cynicism today in the house of God. We need to put aside 
our unbelief, our doubts. We need to put them aside and believe that when we pray, God is always willing to move on our behalf. Always ready to move. I'm almost out of time. 